All right, so Philemon, near the end of the New Testament. I'll give you just a second. It's a very short book. We're gonna, we don't often get to read a whole book of the Bible and then talk about a whole book of the Bible. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to just read through the whole thing first and then we'll go back and, and talk about some things. And I am reading out of the King James. Hopefully you can follow along easy enough in yours. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. And that, that is an accurate translation here. Yours might say heart, which is more how we would say it today, right? It's like your um, heart when you hear that word bowels in, in my version here. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is, which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have returned with me, I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Okay, the situation, is, as much as we know about it, <clears throat> Onesimus was a slave uh, that has run away from his master, Philemon. And while he was running away, he encounters Paul, <clears throat> and how he encountered him, uh, well, you know, we'll talk about later different, different ideas, but as much as we know, he, we know that he met Paul, who seemed to be under house arrest, um, 
maybe in Rome, maybe in Ephesus. We know that Paul is a good friend of Philemon. Um, you can just tell from the tone of the letter and you know, people that study such things, you know, there were different types of letters back in this day and this follows very much the letter of, a, of what they would call a friendship letter. We know that Paul and Philemon were close. We know that Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. He, he didn't know Christ and Paul led him to Christ apparently after he met him and while Paul was in prison there. And we know that Onesimus became a great help to Paul. Uh, and Paul expected that he could continue to be a great help to him. Uh, although Paul wanted to keep Onesimus around, he didn't. The, the law, the Roman law at the time, says if there's a runaway slave, he, he has to be returned to his master. Um, actually, he, you had 20 days to return uh, someone, a, a runaway slave to his master. So Paul obeys the law, sends Onesimus back with this letter in hand, this letter we just read. So there are so many unanswered questions. If you stop and think about it, what was going on? What, what was the situation here? How long had Onesimus been gone? Why did he leave? Was he, uh, there was like this stereotypical view the landowners had of uh, slaves, they would steal they would steal a lot of the master's stuff and run off and you know, just abscond with it and try to, I guess, live a life of freedom and hiding somewhere. Was that what Onesimus had done? Or there's another uh, thing that I had never heard of, but I read it in several papers. It was uh, pretty well documented. There, it's like called friend of the master laws or something. Um, in other words, if, you, if a slave had a grievance, against their master, if they thought they'd been wronged or treated too harshly or whatever, it was legal, they could flee to a friend of their master, someone that had a relationship with them and plead for them to intervene on their behalf. And that was a legal thing to do. I, I guess they had 20 days to be returned. Um, was that what was going on? We don't know. Um, did Onesimus have one thing in mind when he ran away and then change his mind after he was gone? You know, did he just want Paul's help in, in, in coming back? Uh, what about Philemon? We don't know too much about him, right? Was he a kind man? Was he the kind of slave owner who after the slaves had worked for a time, slavery uh, was probably a little different in Roman times than we think of slavery in 19th century America? Um, you know, you, you might have had a debt and put yourself into slavery because in a time you can pay it off. Or, you know, there were all different situations. Um, but what was Philemon like? Did he, did he free his slaves after some time? Uh, was he kind to them? Was he harsh? Was he going to beat Onesimus? Was he going to kill him when he returned, which he actually had a legal right to do because he was his property? Um... Was Philemon even his master? Uh, we kind of assume that, and I'll say, I'll just go ahead and say, I, I think he was. I think it's plain enough, but there are people that, uh, John Knox, the great Scottish reformer, he said that uh, Archippus, who was in, in verse 2, because Paul greeted Philemon, and then he said to Apphia and Archippus, is I think how you pronounce it actually, 
uh, he said that that was Onesimus' slave owner, and, and Paul was just writing to Philemon because he was like the head of the church in his house there. So, so many questions that so many people have wrestled with through the years and made suppositions and, and maybe some uh, kind of far-out theories and everything. But there's so much that it does tell us. If you, as you listen to the, to the verses, there's really not so much in here that's what we would say like purely theological or explicitly theological, right? He doesn't say like he does in so many other of his epistles, do, you know, this is how things should be. This is how you should treat one another. This is like just a, a personal appeal, right? And he's not giving instructions uh, to everyone. He's, he's writing a personal letter. Yet there's so much we can glean from that. So what do we know about it? We do know that uh, Paul had authority over Philemon. Uh, someone had collected six different commentators from the third and fourth centuries, like from the late 300s into the early 400s, that had commentaries on Philemon. And uh, they had some different opinions from each other about different things, but they all agreed from their view just shortly after this happened Paul was in a place of authority. He could have commanded Philemon in the, you know, the structure of the church or due to his age, whatever it was. He, you know, that was his right. And they all agreed that the way Paul exercised that authority was very commendable. You know, some for one reason, some for another. Uh, but they all thought it was a good example, a good model. Uh, one, of, one of those early commentators, John Chrysostom, um, he, he felt Paul was a masterful orator who, in persuading Philemon to do what he wanted him to do, still remained well within the boundaries of a relationship of mutual love and trust. Okay, so what exactly was it that Paul was asking for? Um, some people, a lot of people jumped to the conclusion right away that he was asking for Onesimus to be freed. But if you read it carefully, he doesn't quite get there. He doesn't exactly say, I want you to release Onesimus from your service. He doesn't say he should stay in it. He doesn't say release him. He makes maybe some suggestions to the side, but he doesn't tell him, free him. Uh, you know, there's been a lot made of, of this that Paul was writing a letter to a slave owner, returning a slave to him, and he really doesn't talk anything, doesn't say anything about the institution of slavery or the dignity of human life. Or, you know, he doesn't give a discourse on, on these kind of things. Uh, and you know, that, was, that was used like in America in, in the 1800s. Uh, abolitionists felt you know, this could be used as we should free slaves. The slave owners said, no, it's used to show that uh, if a, a slave is a runaway, then they should be returned, and that our runaway slave laws are, are biblical. Um, but Paul doesn't get into any of that, and that's a whole different discussion. Um, there's, there's like probably dozens of ways we could look at Philemon, and that's one of them, and, and we won't dig into that deeply, but it was used this way in America you know, in the last couple hundred years or so. So what did he ask for? 
there's really three things that Paul is requesting or, or saying he wished would happen. One, he wishes, uh, he hopes that Onesimus could possibly be returned to him, to Paul, because he would be beneficial to him. He asks that a guest room be prepared for him. He hopes that he'll be able to return to Philemon and the church there at his house. So prepare me a room, he said. And then the third thing, which is kind of the main thing, and the main thing we'll be talking about today, he wants Philemon to accept Onesimus, to welcome him as a brother in the Lord, uh, because he is now. He wasn't before. Um, he wants him to welcome him just as if he were welcoming Paul, welcoming Paul himself. Um, another question which I want you to think about is who, or to be grammatically correct, to whom was this letter written? You know, the, the quick off-the-cuff answer is Philemon, right? But if you look back, he says in verse 1, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Athia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. So there's three individuals that he addressed. And then he says, and to the church in thy house. Um, everything, all, all through the, the, the book, I should say, the letter, he says thy or thine or thee, which if, if you're reading in the King James we talked about last week, you know that means it's singular. He's talking to one individual person. And that person we're you know, probably 99% sure is Philemon. I don't know, you probably can't see my paper from there. I highlighted in yellow all the singular words. I don't know if you can see all the yellow dots. It's probably pretty faint from the back. And then in blue, are the plural ones. So he did everything about Onesimus and returning and accepting him was directed right to Philemon. And yet he includes the church. He says in verse 2, and to the church in thy house, your house, singular, Philemon, grace to you. You, if you're splitting it up with you and thee, you is plural, right? This lets us know in the Greek, Paul was saying he's addressing this to everybody. Um, in just the, the other times in verse 6, he says um, that the communication of thy faith, Philemon's faith, may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you. That's plural. That's in the church. And, and then in the, in the closing readings, he also uh, addresses the church. So who do you think Paul intended to hear this very personal letter, this personal appeal, talking about a personal relationship between Paul and Philemon and what he's asking him to do? He didn't send it in secret, right? He intended this letter to be read in front of the whole church that met in Philemon's house which is very interesting if you think about it. If, if you were writing this letter, if you felt you were in this position, would you, uh, would you send it to the pastor of the church you were sending this guy back to? Or, you know, would you address it personally to the, to the one person that it seemed to involve? 
So it's a very interesting thought, and we're going we're gonna to look at this uh, more as we go along. So why? Why did he address the whole church? Um, because the, the request that Paul was making of Philemon was not a private matter. Um, it's, that, it's that request for, for Philemon to accept Onesimus is the reason, right? That there was, there was the room and there was, you know, the, the main reason that would explain why the whole church is because I want you to accept Onesimus as your brother. So we know that Philemon was, I mean, excuse me, that Onesimus was part of Philemon's household. The church met in Philemon's house. And so the church would have known Onesimus. They would have known that he was part of Philemon's household, but he was not part of the church that met in his house, right? We know that Onesimus seemed to have a bad reputation. In verse 11, he says, which in time past, talking about Onesimus, was to thee unprofitable. Or your, your version might say useless. Uh, that's the meaning of it. We know Onesimus used to be useless. Okay? He, um, he has this parallel construction here in verses 17 and 18. He says, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. That's a rhetorical question, right? But what's the assumed answer? If you count me as your partner. Yes, you, I'm, I'm assuming, Philemon, that you count me, Paul, as your partner in ministry. So if, if that's true, and I'm assuming that it is, and then he goes on with verse 18, if he, Onesimus, hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put it on mine account. So what is also the assumption? If he's done you wrong, if he owes you anything, the assumption is yes, yeah, he, he, I know he has. I'm speaking rhetorically, you know, kind of uh, soften the blow, make it friendly and, and everything, but everybody understands Onesimus had a bad reputation, right? The church would have known this. But Paul wants Onesimus to be received as a brother in Christ, right? So if Onesimus used to be unprofitable, after he met Paul, what happened? Paul led him to the Lord, right? And Paul said he used to be unprofitable, but now he was profitable. Uh, you know, to me and, and even more to you, he's going to be profitable. He calls, in verse 10, he calls Onesimus his child, his own heart, um, his beloved brother, later in, in the book. So Paul's asking Philemon to welcome Onesimus just like he would welcome him, welcome Paul. Um, Paul considers Onesimus to be now not, not a slave, not a servant below anybody. Paul's saying, Onesimus... You know, if I'm here and everybody seemed to agree and Paul alludes to it that he has authority over Philemon in some way, he says, Onesimus is uh, my spiritual equal and, and, and your spiritual equal. Uh, so he wanted 
Philemon to think about this, right? And it wasn't really the, the topic, but you know, Paul says, I could be commanding you things, but I want to just, I want to just suggest it. Say, um, it's like he he wanted he wanted Philemon to think about it and kind of come to the conclusion himself. You know, uh, what should I be doing? You know, if, and there's a lot to think about on how Paul approached Philemon, which wasn't really the topic. We could talk about that uh, maybe later too. Um, this, if you think about it, it kind of points back to Paul's own conversion, right? You know, we, here in, in Philemon, we have Onesimus running away. He had a bad reputation. Um, while he's away, he comes to know Christ. Um, there was one of the papers, the people I read after, he, he worded it really well, so I want to read it like he wrote it. When the murderous, Christian-hating Saul of Tarsus met Jesus and was blinded, he waited in a house for days for acceptance and hopefully even his sight. Finally, Ananias arrived and began to speak, Brother Saul. Paul wanted the same kind of acceptance for Onesimus, brother. Years later, Paul, the Lord's apostle, pled for the same word to be spoken to Onesimus, his spiritual child, his very heart. Imagine those moments when the letter was read aloud to the assembled church family. So much depended on whether Onesimus would be received as a beloved brother, already accepted and forgiven by the Lord, or merely as Philemon's runaway slave, flawed and irresponsible. Apologies, confession, forgiveness, restitution, all these important matters waited until the little circle of believers decided whether or not to open their hearts. If Philemon embraces Onesimus as a brother in the Lord, that welcome will also need to be extended to him by the other brothers and sisters in the Lord in the little house church that met in Philemon's house. So do you see how this would have been very important for the whole church, whether Philemon personally accepted Onesimus as a brother in the Lord. Because it seems clear from everything I read, and I mentioned earlier, that Philemon had every right to treat him as harshly as he chose, and even, even as much as killing him with almost no legal repercussions from that. Um, that he, he was considered property. But what Paul urged instead was what? He wanted a restoration, right? He didn't want punishment or uh, further separation in their hearts. He wanted, he wanted things to be better, a restoration, okay? So Paul here is acting like Jesus, right? Jesus has every right to punish humanity, right? But instead, what did he do? He took our punishment that we might be restored to God, right? Paul was taking a, a personal risk, if you will. Like he's, he's really kind of putting himself out there, wouldn't you say? Uh, kind of using some of his tokens or whatever, you know, I, we kind of joke at uh, favors or whatever. 
um, he puts himself out there for Onesimus because he wants the relationship restored. He, he thinks that it's worth it. It's funny you say, <clears throat> using some of his tokens, because he says, uh, I'll <clears throat> uh, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yeah. He's basically saying, I'm, I'm not going to, he's like, you owe me one. Like, you're going you're gonna to yeah. do this for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, was, I was noticing that too. Yeah, it's, it is very interesting because Paul's saying, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Uh, and I'm not even going to mention, I'm not even going to talk about how you owe me everything. <laughs> There's, bring that up. I'm not going to bring that up, Philemon, okay? Which, of course, right, he did bring it up, saying he's not going to bring it up. Um, so, and by the way, you, this wasn't really the topic, but Paul, would he was a master of rhetoric. Uh, we know from, from him being from Tarsus and the people he studied under, he really would have been quite the orator. And he, he says in some books, like, I'm not going to speak with flattering words. And, you know, I, I just want you to know Christ and him crucified. He's not going to use this rhetoric in persuading people to, to follow Christ. He just wants to present Christ. But he says that because he could have. I mean, he, Paul knew how to how to communicate in a way to influence people. Uh, he was trained in it. Um, and I would say in his personal letter to Philemon, which was intended to be read to the church, um, he was putting a little of that into practice. But anyway. Um, so, what does that mean for us? Okay, a lot of people just jump to the slavery issue. This, this has to do with so much more than the slavery issue. Um, we don't have slavery in America, certainly not legal slavery or that's out in the open. But we have relationships every day for all of our lives where there's some kind of uh, power thing, right? Like some authority. Um, I listed out a few. You can probably think of some. Parents to children, right? You have authority over them. You have power over them. Uh, if you're coaching kids sports, if you manage other employees at work, right? You have authority over them. Uh, if you teach or grade students' papers, right? Mm -hmm. If you're spending money anywhere, if you're going to a restaurant, you have your your server. Uh, if you're going to a clothing store and you know trying on clothes or shoes or uh, you're going to a grocery store, somebody's checking you out. There are all kind of places where there's either a tiny bit or a lot of you have power in some little way or big way over somebody else, right? So, you know, I have some thoughts here, but what, what do you see or hear that the book of Philemon can teach us about those interactions? Thinking about how Paul viewed Onesimus, how he urged Philemon to view Onesimus, how he was in, he wanted the letter read to the whole church because obviously it was important that the whole church accept Onesimus uh, as an equal. What, what are you thinking about this? How, how can this affect our lives day to day right now? I've been thinking about how Onesimus obviously was a part of this home and therefore the home church but whatever he was 
hearing or receiving from the church wasn't what he needed for <coughs> salvation. He, he had obviously or understandably heard this the gospel before, but he had to leave and hear it from Paul before it made sense or before he would accept it. And then he probably come, he comes back and now all of this makes sense and now he's a believer. So just to not get discouraged when there's people in your immediate world that are not accepting what you're telling them or, or not coming to faith in Christ, they may have to go and hear it from someone else. Yeah. And then when they come back to not have any of that bitterness or well, why didn't you listen when we told you you know you sat here among us and now you want to come back and have us forgive everything you did yes yes yeah. we do want that and we we can hope that the the church that met in philemon's house uh witnessed to onesimus that's one of those unanswered questions we it seems like onesimus probably worked in the house for philemon we, we're not really certain and if he met with the church, we don't know that. Was he around and heard? Did he, did he see the interaction? Did he hear the gospel? Or was he a slave and nobody bothered to tell him because they just weren't thinking that way? We don't know. They probably didn't see him as a candidate for salvation. It's poss quite possible. Absolutely. Yeah. A few years back when we were in a different Sunday school class, uh, we were praying for some people, and I'm one of those kind of people when I pray for somebody, I just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and then I get frustrated, and I'm like, well, you know what? So I went to the Sunday school teacher, and I said, so how, how should I be praying for this situation that we've been praying for? And he said, well, pray for restoration. And I was like, well, duh. And I think what this says is relationships are worth restoring. And, and in another part of the scripture, Paul says, as much as lies within you. Mm -hmm. And so he's seeking. There's a lesson on both sides. Yeah. Forgiveness and also for the person who's done the wronging to be restored. That's right. So there's a middle <clears throat> ground. Yeah. We, we, we can place ourselves in the place of Onesimus. We can place ourselves in the place of Philemon. Think about what what is the proper thing for them to do and in, in our situations what's the proper thing for us to do yeah and it's forgiveness and restoration that's right like without them forgiving Onesimus he could not be restored to his family or the church there or whatever they had, it had to work both ways yeah I think it's the end of 1 Corinthians Paul says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation yeah Anybody else have any thoughts they want to share real quick? Yeah. Um, so many of you probably don't know, but I'm a behavior teacher for uh, elementary age kids. And so just listening to you, I think one thing that I can do personally is just have more patience with my kiddos and give them more grace because they don't see that a lot. And that could be just a big, you know, uh, help for them if they actually see someone giving them grace versus getting all of their case for doing something they should have done. Yeah. And I, I would say we can take that thought and apply it at least to all the parents in the room too, because sometimes parents might get frustrated with their own children. 
it's, it's happened sometime in the history. <laughs> Anybody else have something to want to share about that that thought? There's a lot a lot more things we can think about, but I don't want to cut anybody short of sharing what's on their heart about that. I think one of the concepts that is in the area that I work is seat or servant leadership. So it's almost like a role reversal where you know Paul is serving Onesimus, where you are serving that person that you're managing mm -hmm. um, to be successful so versus yeah. you know pop them over the head but what can you do to help them be successful yeah very good uh, which is, again it seemed it sounds to me being like jesus you know because jesus came he said not to be served but to serve not not to be ministered unto but to minister so what what um what do you think about what's the difference in private matters and matters that need to come before the whole church? Are there things that we think should be private but really affect the whole church and should concern the whole church and be brought before the whole church? Yes. It's kind of an uncomfortable question. It's like I'm not really, I'm not really wanting to stand up and promote that thought just because it's uncomfortable. But if you look at the scripture, if you look at the example here, you know, why, why do you think, and I touched on some of it, but why do you think the church needed to hear all this and how does that apply to us today? What, what kind of things maybe would the church be better off if we, if we involved everybody, our brothers and sisters? I'm imagining the scenario of coming back with this letter and people in the church being like oh look who's back let's get ready to see his punishment mm -hmm. and then they read the letter and there are some people in that home church who are like I don't like the way that we dealt with this I'm going to find another home church <laughs> and they just listen yeah. to because and it, I mean because Paul has authority yeah I mean he, he and it's clear that he when he writes to Philemon he recognizes that Philemon knows he has authority mm -hmm. and so and he gives instruction through a letter, I'm just I'm imagining the reaction from the people who were in the church in his home. Because there were probably several who were like, we expect justice. Yeah. And not forgiveness along with acceptance. Like that had to be a hard pill to swallow. Probably <laughs> if the early church had that same had that feeling yet. I don't know if that's like a modern Christianity feeling or if that if that weight was so freshly lifted off of them of having to obey the law, if they had yet gotten that bitterness. I'm picturing Onesimus like, is he in the room when they read the letter? <laughs> <laughs> so here's another unanswered question, but we we it seems pretty obvious there are other theories who was the letter carrier for this letter? I was just supposed to say probably him. Probably Onesimus. He might have had someone with him. He might have had Tychius who wrote, you know, they were, this was in Colossians, by the way, Colossae, to, you know, and uh, there was a letter. Tychius carried that letter. He might have been with him. Timothy apparently was with Paul when this was written because it, it says from Timothy also. Timothy might have gone with Onesimus. We're not sure about any of that, but it seems like Onesimus was the letter carrier. He had to deliver this himself. Um, so that, that, that's a separate interesting thought. 
Um, so, you know. Fences may have been church wide. Mm. Which is why he included. You said the offense. The offense of yeah. Onesimus may have included people from the church as well. It's possible. Yeah. But in any event, he included the church as an example of, hey, this is how you handle when something like this happens when there's been a conversion. Right. Yeah, and and I think uh, a point to remember is that the forgiveness or lack of it that that Philemon showed Onesimus was going to affect the whole church. It's, you know, it's like, what's the phrase, no man is an island or whatever. Like, you can't just do things and not affect people around you. And this is especially true in the church. We're supposed to be one. Think about, think about how this relates to the lesson from last week, right? We talked about in the Lord's Supper, the divisions that it showed when, when people ate their supper and didn't wait on somebody else, they had food and other people didn't because they weren't sharing it equally. It showed like we have money, we have status, they don't, you know, the poor tradespeople or slaves or whatever that couldn't get off work and get there or didn't have things to bring. The, the issue that Paul was warning about the Lord's Supper was how it showed division, right? And so you bring this to Philemon. If, if Philemon doesn't forgive Onesimus, if he doesn't show him that grace, if there's a rift there, but Onesimus is now a brother in Christ, what does that say to the church? You know, there, now the church is more separated than it was, not closer and more one, like we were told to be. We are one body. We read so many verses last week about this. Okay, I think we're out of time. Um, thanks for for listening and sharing all your thoughts and helping us think through these things. Um, we have just a moment, real quick prayer. Lord, I pray that you help us to, to hear your word, to, to follow your word, uh, whether it's comfortable or not, uh, but to do what you want us to do. Give us wisdom. I pray that you bless the service that's to come. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.